0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, the scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter five, verse 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, How can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now. As we reflect on these words, We approach this very moment from all sorts of backgrounds and experiences this week. Some of us coming in this room in this moment with anticipation and eagerness and excitement and hope and joy. Others of us with depression or with sadness or with fear, with anxiety, holding a grudge that seems to be eroding us from within because it's so hard to forgive we've been wronged. However we find ourselves in this moment, help us to see that you know us all. You see us to the depths. You know us in all of our complexity and contradiction and all of our strengths and weaknesses. You see us and you know us and you love us. We see the the focus of your love as you give yourself to us through the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ, and call us to follow you together. And so now, we pray that you do perhaps the most difficult thing of all, that you'd convince us that you love us this much. We pray that you'd teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that our lives would be transformed. Lord, I pray in your strength that you would speak through my weakness and that you give us all ears to hear your voice that calls us to know you, to love you, to make you known wherever we go for our good and for your glory. I pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, if you see me kind of moving a little stiffly and slowly today, it's because I did this thing yesterday. It's called the Tour de Palm Springs, which sounds like it might be a tourist experience of like some of the nice art, you know, artistic homes or whatever. It's a 100-mile bike ride around the valley around Palm Springs. And I'd never done a 100-mile bike ride before. We're getting ready before. This guy goes, oh, so you, like how many century rides have you done? Because that's what the cool kids call it. And I was like, I've never done a century. I've, never, I've hardly done a few decade rides. And uh, you know, I go, I've, I, do tw- I go, like I do 20 or 30-mile rides. They've done a 50-mile ride. We're just going to see how this goes. So then people start to give you all sorts of advice, which is really nice, and I'll listen to anything for a while. uh, But they give you one of the best pieces of advice I heard, and this goes for triathlons too, is start slowly and then taper off from there. Right? And that's just helpful for a hundred mile race. That's helpful for a three event triathlon. And so you'd see people in the very beginning, in the, in the morning, you're just so amped and you've been waiting for this and training for this and you kind of got your nutrition dialed in and the, and the gun goes off and you start going at the starting line and all you want to do is ride as hard as you can. And some people do, and they're just, they're off. But by mile 70, you're passing those people. By mile 6, because start slow and then taper off from there. It's kind of counterintuitive advice that actually works, and people with experience give it, and people who are wise enough to take it end up finishing the race. Now, that's a, a kind of dim example of what's happening here with Jesus, and this is a collection of his sermons. Uh, the whole collection is called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's probably his most famous work of actually compiling the sermons that he gave in one time, in one place. It begins with the Beatitudes that we started last week. Uh, but it's, it, the whole theme of this sermon is the way up is actually the way down. You know, in a world that kind of coaches us on upward mobility, he says, if you really want to be upwardly mobile, you need to serve downward, right? Right? Um, the, the, the proud are going to be brought down but the humble will be brought up the meek will inherit the earth the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are the ones that will be filled God's love is so present in your life that you can even say that you are in a state of being blessed when it feels like everyone is saying bad words about you because um, the kingdom of heavens at hand so he's, he's delivered that last week uh, and he's giving this new picture of what it's like to live in the upside down kingdom of heaven and who does it go to? Does it go to the people that have arrived? Does it go to the religious insiders? Does it go to the people who have the perfect Instagram account and everything is perfectly polished? Not at all. He walks up to this mountain and anybody who wants comes and follows him. And this ends up being good news for the people who are at the bottom, socially, financially, emotionally, physically. And he says, follow me because I want to bring healing into your life and into this world. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and that becomes a message of good news. Now here's the question, what if that's actually true? What if Christianity is not merely a collection of really good stories about a great teacher with promises that make you feel better when you're not feeling so well? What if he really is who he said that he is? The son of God who took on flesh, became one of us and dealt a death blow to death itself and promises I will never leave you or forsake you. What if he has that kind of power, that kind of identity and he moves toward you right now? You know, that would mean a new way of life altogether. That would mean a new way of engaging with yourself, a new way of engaging with the world around you, and a new way of engaging with God. Okay. Last week, we looked at the new way of engaging with yourself. So if, if you haven't uh, listened to it, the podcast will be up in a day or two. Please do go check that out. As we looked at, as hungry and thirsty people, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So go, go and look at that. Today, let's look at a new way of relating to the world, and a new way of relating to God. First, a new way of relating to the world. Verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's unpack that together. First, when he says you are salt of the earth, it is not, in, in the English translation, it's always hard to get, is it a you singular or a you plural? Because in, in at least Western United States English, we have the same word for both. You singular is you. If I'm talking to you all plural, I say you. Right? You are the church. You are a part of the church, Right? But in the south, like in the southern United States, they have two words, they have you and y'all, okay? And the Greek has you and y'all, and this is the plural you. So he's not just saying you individually, as a follower of Jesus, are salt of the earth, though that's true, he's saying the Christian community, when you are gathered together, y'all are salt of the earth. This is for you, and this is for everyone around you. Now this goes back to Israel's original calling, that they would be a light to the nations. Now here's the thing, salt preserves and light illuminates. And so the assumption that Jesus is given is something that you and I already experience and that is the world is decaying and is filled with darkness. It needs to be preserved and it needs to be illuminated. Now we don't use those sorts of words but we do say things like, War is a mess. Violence is wrong. Why do I keep doing the things I don't want to do? The world is not the way it's supposed to be. And he's saying that's right because it's decaying and it has darkness and it. it needs preservation and illumination. Okay? Okay? So the world's subject to decay, you know, food, you leave a turkey on the table, a perfectly well-cooked turkey, leave it on the table for two hours, it becomes cold, leave it on the table for two days, it becomes poison, okay? That is, that is just chaos theory at its finest. The world is decaying and needs to be put together. Your beauty, try to keep up your beauty, try to keep up your health. You know, you know, you, if you are not actively working on all of those things, it is coming undone, right? Decay. So relationships. If you're not actively working on your relationships, I need to call my friend, I, I need to be more vulnerable, I wanna share more, I wanna listen better, I wanna spend time with them. Relationships take work. If you want your relationships to fall apart, just do nothing, and they will. So there you go, entropy. And the world's a dark place. It's confused and confusing, it's painful. You know, th- we say things like, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And so here comes Jesus saying, guess what? I understand that the world in its broken state is bound and moves toward decay and darkness, and I'm doing something about it. Through his cross and resurrection, he's dealt a death blow to death itself, and he's calling you and me to be ambassadors of a kingdom that's marked by preservation and illumination. Salt and light. Now think about it, salt preserves. Especially in this particular society, this first audience, in a society with no refrigeration, salt was what would preserve the meat and the protein. In fact, salt was such an important mineral in their society that Roman soldiers were actually paid with salt. That is where we get the word salary. Salt is critical to preserve things that are falling apart. So here's part of what Jesus is saying. When you follow him, it is your calling to preserve, to sustain, and to support whatever you see falling apart around you. In a world that says, take care of yourself, look out for number one, he says, actually, I want you to look around, and when things seem like they're crumbling, I want you to move toward those pain points. You become a person of stability in your neighborhood. I mean, to this day, Florence and I, we've moved into our neighborhood right down the street here. We know all our neighbors from our home. Our home's in the middle of the block. We know all our neighbors to the corners on both sides of the street. And I know there are these two sets of neighbors that do not get along. And we're foolish enough to stand in between that and go, I just really hope you guys get along at some point, right? At some point, in some way, we're trying to be salt in the midst of our block. Your stability in your neighborhood. You are the glue in your office. So that means you approach your job, not just from the standpoint of, how do I get the most out of this job, the most salary, the quickest path to getting promoted? uh, How do I use this as a stepping stone? But instead you begin to have a frame of mind that says, how can I bring out the best in this organization? How can I bring out the best in this team? How can I bring out the best in these people? I was uh, talking to a friend who's an attorney downtown, he's new to his firm, very accomplished in his previous city but now he's here, he's trying to make a name for himself and he's like, I wanna bless my boss. Like, how do I do that? And I go, well, if your boss's currency is, your boss wants to manage a bunch of great attorneys, be the best attorney you can. Bill really high quality hours, don't cut any corners, be completely diligent and pray for him, right? It's physical and spiritual, it's all of that. How do you be salt in your office? Now, salt is not just a preservative. You and I know. It also is a seasoning. And salt's job in food is to bring out the flavor that's already there, right? Salt on its own doesn't, I mean, it has a a, a taste to it, but no one eats just salt. Salt is always on top of the food to bring out the flavor. Whether it's a great steak or Brussels sprouts or chocolate chip cookies, you know when it doesn't have enough salt because it doesn't have enough flavor, right? It brings out the flavor without drawing attention to itself, that's when salt's really doing its job. Uh, you've had stuff that's oversalted, too much salt on your fries, it's overpowering, it's disgusting. So I think that maybe Jesus is saying, you as a preserver and the flavor bringer outer of this world are meant to draw attention to the things of beauty and wholeness, to bring out the good flavor. That's why we say things at Renew, we say it's our duty to move toward the pain points of the city, and it's our joy to move toward the beautiful parts of the city. And it's both and right? We want to preserve the things that need to be brought together, and we want to highlight and fan into a flame the things that are beautiful and creative. These are all marks of the coming kingdom of heaven. Salt. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, you are the light of the world that illuminates, that exposes, that shows things for what they are. It also shows the way home. You are salt and you are light. What a calling. That that feels to me both hopeful and heavy at the same time. How do you go about this? Jack Hayford, in this article he wrote uh, years ago, this is on page two for you so you can take it home. He wrote, the church is called to be cultural catalysts who will act as salt and light, but there are dangers. Salt, if you use too much, becomes embittering. If you sprinkle it, it flavors. Light is annoying if it glares in your face. In fact, you try to push it away. But if you let the warm glow of the light show, People will come to it. I don't think Jesus called us to rub salt in the world's wounds or to glare light a foot from their eyes with a million candle power spotlight. He called us to be the warm glow of his love and the flavoring quality of his nature. God has not called me to be morally indignant. He's called me to be spiritually vibrant. To be a person fully alive in society, fully alive in your home, salt and light. Now here's what he says though, when you live like salt and light in this world, on one hand, you can expect persecution. This is verse 10 and 11 of the passage we studied last week. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say bad things about you in account of my name, right? So when you live as salt and light, preserving and illuminating in this world, you can expect both persecution or pushback and you can expect that people will be attracted, right? So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's both. In other words, because of your faith, some people will not like you. Some people will hate your guts and some people will be attracted. And you know that you're kind of in the sweet spot when both are occurring in your life. So let's break that down. If you have one and not the other, I recommend that you ask yourself, why is that? For example, if all you have as a response to your faith and the way you live out your faith in this world, if the only result that you're observing is that the response to your faith is friction, conflict, arguments, people walking the other way when you walk in the room, and nobody's attracted, you gotta ask, why is that? In other words, if you shove your faith down other people's throats, and you're bullying, and combative, and manipulative, and un, you know, unwavering, when people see you coming, they walk into the other room, perhaps you're not being persecuted because of Jesus. Perhaps you're just being avoided because you're obnoxious to other people, right? That's a good diagnostic. If all you get is pushback, you gotta ask why. On the other hand, if there is never any friction, if it's only kind of smiles and nods, no pushback of any kind, it's possible that you're not actually engaging in a way that's distinctive. It's possible that you're just not living in a way that is uh, transformational at all. You're becoming more assimilated than actually being transformative. And so he says both are going to be happen. That's the sweet spot when people both push back on you and are attracted to what you have to say. And I want you to note this here's the part where you take courage and I. They don't say, for when you do this, they will see your good works and glorify your boss in heaven. It doesn't say, but they will see your good works and glorify your co-pilot in heaven. They will glorify your consultant in heaven. They will glorify your tax master, your task master in heaven. They will glorify your father in heaven. He says, all of this is bound in relationship between you and me. This is not a list of things for you to do so that I might love you more. This is what it looks like when you know how much I already love you. And I wonder if this is kind of what it's getting at in this part of verse 18 through 20, because those are some hard words to read. Uh, Verse 18 through 20 talks about relating to the world around you with honor, with integrity, with obedience to God's word. Um, I'll read these. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, okay. Let me just start by saying, as I was studying that and reflecting on that this week, I felt so much weight on my shoulders as the preacher. He says, watch out when you get it wrong regarding the law. <laughs> Great. And maybe this is why the apostle Paul says, to be a leader in the church is, a, is an enormous task. Who is equal to such a calling? And then it's a rhetorical question because the answer is nobody, right? So what's Jesus talking about here? Let's unpack that a bit. First, we see there's a high view of Scripture. Okay, when, he says, when he talks about um, not to abolish the, the law or the prophets, later he says not one letter will pass from the law. This is a way of talking about the body of Scripture that they had access to at that time, what we now refer to as the Old Testament. So he's not merely talking about the Ten Commandments, though he is, but it's a lot more than that. It's all of Scripture as they know it. And he says, I have a very high view of Scripture because it is all inspired by God. So on one hand, engaging with society is one in which we say, what does scripture say about this? How does it inform me? This is why our Sunday morning services are saturated in scripture. This is why we study scripture in my home on Wednesday nights because there's a high view of scripture that doesn't simply come from tradition. It comes from Jesus himself saying, if you wanna know me, the living word, get to know me in the written word. So on one hand, there's a high view of scripture. There's a high view of obedience of actually reading the scriptures, interpreting them wisely, and then obeying them with honor and with integrity, with striving. Again, not to achieve belovedness, but realizing how beloved you already are. So living in this way out of a sense of gratitude. But here's the deeper thing I think is happening underneath all of this because you hear what he's saying. Unless you're righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, okay? The scribes were the religious experts in the law. The Pharisees were the people who had devoted their lives to following the law perfectly, and your righteousness has to exceed theirs or else you don't make it into the kingdom of heaven? What is Jesus doing there? I mean, think about that statement in the context of everything else you've heard him say. I am living water. If you're thirsty, come to me. I'm the bread of life. If you're hungry, come to me. Come to me, who are all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And now, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's enough to make you Pause. And go, go, what, what is he actually saying here? Because it sounds like the answer is, or the question is, well, then who's gonna make it into the kingdom of heaven? To which the answer is, nobody. Right? Jesus does this. He does this in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of those gospels. Uh, in Matthew chapter 19, later on, he will give this saying. He will say, uh, how difficult it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is much, who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And by the way when he says rich he doesn't mean the top 1% of American society. He would probably mean everybody in this room. You have access to clothing, shelter, food. You know, we're rich, okay? So it's all of us. How difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this they were greatly astounded and said, "Then who can be saved?" But Jesus looked at them and said, "For mortals it is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. And I think he's doing the same thing here on the Sermon on the Mount. As he says, unless you have righteousness like these unattainable goals, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven that leaves all of us on equal playing ground to which we say, then who can be saved? No one, unless I rescue you. You will enter into the kingdom of heaven not because you manage to string together really good behavior for a number of weeks or a number of years, and then God will love you and accept you. God loves you and accepts you and receives you because of his work done on your behalf through his life, death, and resurrection. And so that's irrevocable. That's why Jesus would say things like, whoever hears my word and puts them into practice is like a wise person that builds their life on a rock and when the wind comes and the waves rise, the house will still stand because the rock's going nowhere. You see, you could build your life on a rescuer like that, on a savior like that, on a messiah like that. A new way of relating to God altogether. And here's where it comes together. Verse 17, I think, is the key to the entire passage. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The call to engaging with God is not to earn your belovedness. It comes from realizing how beloved you already are. And a Christian is someone who sees that Jesus said what no religious founder has ever said before or since. He begins the statement, do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. And he could have said, I've come to explain them. He could have said, I came to show you how to obey them. But instead he says something no one else has ever said. I've come to fulfill them myself. I have fulfilled them on your behalf. He says, I am the Sermon on the Mount. You will never be able to see that this is true of you until you see that it was true of me. He says, I am the Beatitudes. Why are you rich? Because he became poor. Why are you comforted? Because he became inconsolable. Why do you inherit the earth? Because he gave up everything to become one with you and me. Why are you filled? Because he said, I thirst. Why can we see God? Because on the cross he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. He is the light that is lifted up on the cross so that not put under the bushel basket so that it can illuminate the entire world. You want to talk about preserving? He says, I hold you together. You want to talk about illuminating? He says, I know you and I love you. And so the church is calling. You all, we all are salt and light. We all are called to this rescuer who knows you, and loves you, who has fulfilled the law and the prophets on your behalf. So the loudest word on your life is not guilt, it's not shame, it's not your record of wrongdoings, it's not even your record of successes. The loudest word upon you is beloved, forgiven, rescued, sustained, light to the nations, light to the world, salt of the earth. Friends, we've already begun this journey together as a new church. This is why we're starting Renew Church, so that you can experience this in the community and then you can be launched out into the city and into this world to be agents of salt and light wherever you go. And as you do, the world will never be the same. This is what transforms the world. But you know what else? As you go along, this is what transforms you and me as we do this together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now that you would give us the grace to see and hear and understand the words that we just read. There's places of our lives that feel like they're alienated or fractured that actually need your preservation, your salt in our lives, places that need your illumination and your light. So now maybe first we pray that you would fill us with salt and light of your Holy Spirit and that you would then send us out to be those sorts of hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go. Convince us of your great love for us and make us into agents of that love for others. We pray all these things for our good and for your glory. Amen.